the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Only someone who's been regenerated can experience that. Rescued from this present evil age, which is focused on opposition to God and focused on sinful desires. And that's precisely why Paul is bringing this up in, in Galatians 1.4. He wants these fickle Galatians to understand that only the gospel of grace in Christ can set them free from being enslaved to their sin. Do you realize that? It's only the gospel that can set you free. That's the central theme of the book of Galatians, the freedom that the Christian enjoys through the grace of God. Welcome to Verse by Verse. We're glad you're along with us for today's class to continue our study of the epistle to the Galatians. Steve Kreloff has been pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel since 1981. His verse-by-verse explanation of Scripture gives rise to the name of this program. What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? Everything. He did everything we need in order to escape the punishment we deserve and enjoy eternity in the glorious environment God has in store for his followers. Now here's Pastor Steve to begin today's lesson. So far we've seen two truths, amazing truths about Christ's death. Number one, he died willingly. Number two, his death was an eternal payment for our sins. But what exactly did Christ's death accomplish? Well, since his death was an atoning sacrifice for our sins, then we know that his death provided what we need most, and that is the forgiveness, forgiveness from God for all of our sins. And that's exactly what happens when you come to Christ. Therefore, we have the assurance that we will not suffer the punishment for our sin in the future in hell. But when we die, if you're a believer in Christ, you will immediately go into the Lord's presence because your sin was paid for. That's salvation. But interestingly, when Paul speaks of the purpose of Christ's death, he doesn't mention that. He doesn't mention it here. He doesn't mention anything here that pertains to the future. Instead, he speaks of something that Christ's death accomplished right now. Something that is a present reality that every one of us needs to be aware of. Verse 4 says, who gave himself for our sins, that he might rescue us from this, note this, present evil age. Paul tells us that Christ's death affects us today, right now, right where you are, in that he died in order to rescue, which means deliver us from this present evil age. Now, what does he mean by this? It means that those who trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, believing that he died for them on the cross and that he's their only hope for eternal life, They are emancipated, liberated from the bondage of sin that still dominates every unbeliever and is characteristic of the ungodly world that we live in. To be rescued from this present evil age 
It's not a reference to a future deliverance out of this wicked world. Jesus said in John 17, Father, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you leave them in the world. We're left in the world. There will be a future deliverance out of this wicked world, but that will take place eventually when we die or if we're the rapture generation. But that's not what he's talking about here. To be rescued from this present evil age is to continue living here on earth in a satanically controlled world system, but to live in such a way that we demonstrate a new life in Christ. We demonstrate that we've been born again. We demonstrate kingdom living in a fallen world. In other words, we who have been saved by grace have been freed from the bondage of our sin so that we no longer live like we used to live. And the way that all unsaved people still live, enslaved to their own lusts and passions. We've been set free. See, folks, what the gospel does for us is that it liberates us from sin controlling us. The moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were rescued. You were set free from being controlled by your sin. Now, we still struggle with sin. We struggle a lot with sin, and we'll continue to struggle with sin until we're brought safely home to glory by Jesus himself. But here's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. You struggle with sin as a believer, but you don't have to sin. We don't have to sin at all. We've been set free. Jesus said, if the Son shall set you free, you're free. It meant from their sin. We have received a new divine nature at our new birth. Peter says that. You received a new, 2 Peter 1.3, you received a divine nature. That's regeneration. That's what the new birth is. God has given you his very life. You have a new nature. And that new nature gives you the power to say no to sin. We don't say it as often as we should, but you have the power to say no to sin. You've been set free. An unbeliever does not have that power. All they can do is sin. They make choices within the realm of sin, but they can't go out of that realm of sin. They're in bondage to a sinful nature. Let me show you what Paul taught about this. One book over Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And keep your place here because we're going to look at two places in Ephesians Starting at chapter 2, verse 1, and you, he's writing to the church now, probably a group of churches, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's the way all of us were. Born into this world, dead. That doesn't even sound right. How can you be born but be dead? You were, you were alive physically, but not spiritually. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that it's now working in the sons of disobedience. This is the way all of us were. We did whatever our sinful flesh dictated. Verse three, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Listen, That's the way we used to live. We did whatever we wanted to do that was dictated by our sinful flesh. But we've been set free, Paul said. And so we turn to Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17. What a marvelous passage. So this I say and affirm with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles, he means the pagans, also walk in the futility of your mind. He said, you don't have to walk like that now. Being darkened 
in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Paul said, but you don't have to do that anymore. That's the way you once were. Not anymore. Verse 20. But you didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, he said, you lay aside the old self. Paul said this because that's the power we have to lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Paul said you can live differently. You don't have to be the same old sinner that you were before you were saved. Really, what Paul is referring to here when he speaks of being rescued from this present evil age, it's a new kind of life. It's a quality of life. It's really the Sermon on the Mount lived out today. It's kingdom living in a sinful fallen world. It's understanding that we've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1.13. Only someone who's been regenerated can experience that. Rescued from this present evil age, which is focused on opposition to God and focused on sinful desires. And that's precisely why Paul is bringing this up in, in Galatians 1.4. He wants these fickle Galatians to understand that only the gospel of grace in Christ can set them free from being enslaved to their sin. Do you realize that? It's only the gospel that can set you free. The religion of law-keeping or any kind of human effort that was being taught by the Judaizers only puts people under bondage, just gives them legalistic rules that they are obligated to keep. It can never liberate anyone because it doesn't offer what the gospel offers, and that's a changed heart. That's a changed heart. That's why Paul said, look at Galatians 5.1. That's why later he will say, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back into bondage, whether it's Jewish bondage or, or any kind of bondage. Stand firm in the freedom that Christ has given you. Let me ask you a penetrating and an important question. Do you live in a way that demonstrates that you've been set free from this present evil age? Do you have a different value system from your Unsaved friends, relatives, you see things differently, different ambitions, uh, different approach when it comes to money, family, integrity, work. That's what Paul's talking about, a whole new way of life. Now, I'm not asking you if if you ever sin. I know the answer to that already. We all do. But I'm asking you is, is your life characterized, not perfectly, but characterized by obedience to God and his word. Is, is that the heart cry from within? Lord, I, I want to do what's right. I, when I read the word, I say I want to obey it. I put it into practice. Or do you live completely like a pagan? Living in constant and complete disregard and rebellion to the word of God. I didn't ask if you were religious. But when it comes to scripture, does it matter to you? When you read the word of God, do you want to obey or don't you care? If you don't care, then you've never been rescued from this present evil world. You've never been saved. Because the evidence of someone who's saved is that they have a changed heart that wants to obey. 
regardless of the struggles, they want to obey. So if your life has never indicated any quality of a heavenly kingdom living here on earth, then you are in need of salvation. You need to trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Now, so far, Paul has told us three truths about the significance of Christ's death. Number one, he willingly died and that he gave himself. Number two, the reason he did so and he willingly gave his life was to be our substitute on the cross. He paid for our sins, who gave himself for our sins. Truth number three, what Christ's death accomplishes that we were rescued from this present evil age. But there's a fourth truth that Paul tells us about concerning the significance of Christ's death. And it's an important one. He tells us the source, the origin of Christ's death and our rescue from sin. Notice how Paul ends verse four. He says, according to the will of our God and father. In other words, our rescue from this very evil age took place. Watch this because God, the father willed it to take place. Listen very closely. This is an incredibly important statement because it reveals that our salvation took place not because we willed it. Not in any way did we will it to happen or even because God permitted it to happen. It happened because God willed it to happen. That's what Paul is saying. Folks, this is just another affirmation that our salvation is based on the sovereign and gracious will of God to rescue us. By the cross of his son was something that had been in the heart and mind of God for all of eternity. It was not an afterthought. Why do I say that? Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. This is God's sovereign action, his sovereign grace in election. Now, I understand that some people are terribly bothered by this thought that God sovereignly chose us rather than we choosing him. But there's a very good reason why God chose and elected some to salvation. The reason is because if he didn't choose some, then no one would ever come to him to be saved. If he didn't choose some, then no one would ever come to him to be saved. You see, we are all born into this world in a state of sinful depravity, not neutral, sinfully depraved. Therefore, no one would come on their own to Christ for salvation. No one is interested in repenting. No one is interested in being in submission to Christ and the authority of the word of God. That's why Paul said in Romans 3, 11, no one seeks after God. No one. He's talking about an unregenerate person. No one's seeking after God. He said in Romans 8, 7, that the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God and does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. No one is born into this world who really loves God. Paul said, we're all born into this world hating God. Now, we may say, I love God, but it's a God we've created in our own minds, not the God of the Bible. We hate him. That's what Paul teaches. Jesus said in John 319 that light, he's the light. Light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds were evil. They don't want to come to Jesus. Their deeds are evil. All of us were like that. No wonder our Lord said in John 644, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me 
draws him. You get that? No one. No exceptions. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Now, I, I understand that people are troubled by this. But I want to read to you a quote from a pastor who tried to explain and clarify to a troubled soul in his congregation what the Bible really means by the doctrine of sovereignty and election. Listen closely. After giving a brief survey of these doctrines of sovereign grace, I asked for questions from the class. One lady in particular was quite troubled. She said, this is the most awful thing I've ever heard. You make it sound as if God is intentionally turning away men who would be saved, receiving only the elect. I answered her in this vein. You misunderstand the situation. You're visualizing that God is standing at the door of heaven and men are thronging to get in the door. And God is saying to various ones, yes, you may come, but not you or you or you. The situation is hardly this. Rather, God stands at the door of heaven with his arms outstretched, inviting all to come. Yet all men without exception are running in the opposite direction towards hell as hard as they can go. So God, in election, graciously reaches out and stops this one and that one and this one over here and that one over there and effectually draws them to himself by changing their hearts, making them willing to come. Election keeps no one out of heaven who would otherwise have been there, but it keeps a whole multitude of sinners out of hell who otherwise would have been there. Were it not for election, heaven would be an empty place and hell would be bursting at the seams. That kind of response grounded as I believe that it is in scriptural truth does put a different complexion on things, doesn't it? If you perish in hell, blame yourself as it is entirely your fault. But if you should make it to heaven, credit God for that is entirely his work. To him alone belongs all praise and glory for salvation is all of grace from start to finish. What a significant statement. And I hope that it, it helps some who are troubled by this to, to understand the doctrine of election is not about fairness. If it was fairness, we'd all be in hell today. The doctrine of election is about mercy. It's purely a doctrine of mercy. Nobody deserves heaven. Nobody deserves Salvation. Folks, Paul tells us here in Galatians 1 4 that our salvation is according to the will of God. He rescued us from our sins because he chose to be merciful to us and not because he owes us mercy. The only thing God owes us is condemnation and judgment. But we who have trusted Christ will never experience any condemnation or any judgment because Jesus willingly gave himself for our sins and rescued us. That's the gospel. Not too long ago, someone asked me, why? They said, why is it so important that we understand God's sovereignty in salvation? They said, you know what? It's such a controversial doctrine and it divides Christians. So why why do we really need to to hear about this and know about this? And my response was that it was essential to understand the sovereignty of God and salvation, because this is what will determine whether your life and theology is God centered or man centered. It's essential. See, if you think that your salvation has been determined by your ability to choose Christ, then you will have a man-centered theology as you give yourself a little credit for being so spiritually astute as to figure it out when others can't. But if you understand that your salvation is only because of God's sovereign and merciful choice of you, 
then you will give all the praise and glory to God, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul proceeds to do in verse 5, as he concludes his introduction by giving us a third key truth. He's already defended his ministry as an apostle. He's already defined his message as one of grace. Now he declares his motive for preaching the gospel. Verse 5, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. But these words, Paul brings his introductory comments to a close, but it's significant. He puts the emphasis where it should be here on God's glory. He offers praise to God. And I, I take it for two reasons. Number one, it's because, as I told you before, the false teachers must have criticized Paul as being a man pleaser. And Paul is emphasizing here, I didn't preach to get anybody's approval. I preached to the glory of God. That's all. But more significantly, there's another reason why Paul concluded his introduction with these words. It's a doxology, a, a worshipful praise to God. In preaching salvation by human works, the false teachers believed that the gospel was about what we do for God. That's always what religion is about, what we do for God. But salvation by grace through faith isn't about anything we do or anything we have done to accomplish our salvation. It is only about what God has done for us in Christ. So he gets all of the credit. He's the one who came up with the plan to save us. He's the one who elected us in Christ. He's the one who sent his son to willingly die for us. And he's the one who saved us for all of eternity and rescued us from this present evil age. You say, well, what part did we have in it? We were running in the opposite direction. That's the part we had in it. And he rescued us. And since salvation is all of grace from beginning to end, all we can rightfully do is praise him and magnify God now. And we'll be doing this forever in glory. And that's why Paul says for now and ever more. He concludes it by saying he agrees with that. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. As we close, I have three questions to ask you with our eyes closed before the Lord. Number one. Have you ever been rescued from your sins by Jesus Christ? He died for sinners like us. But have you ever turned to him and by faith place your trust in him for salvation? He'll rescue anyone who comes to him, but you come to him, turning from your sin, repenting, trusting him alone for your salvation. I urge you, if you've never come to him, come before you die and then it's too late. Place your trust in in Christ alone for your salvation. Turn from whatever you've been trusting in up to this point and trust him and his death on the cross alone. Question number two, if you have been rescued by him, then do you live like someone who's been rescued from this present evil age? Or do you claim to know Christ but live like a complete pagan? If that's the case, then examine yourself whether you really are a Christian. But if you're struggling with sin, and we all have sinful issues we struggle with, Understand, you've been set free. You don't have to do what your flesh wants you to do. You can say no. Replace a sinful habit with a godly habit. Question number three, if you have been rescued from your sin by Christ, then do you give God the honor for that? Do you praise him? We sang a song before, praising my Savior all the day long. Do you do that? You should. He's the only one who deserves praise because salvation is all of him. Father, thank you for these words from your heart and mind to Paul, to us. I pray you'll take them, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, drive them deep within us, enlarge our hearts to receive these, these truths, to live by them, to let them change 
our lives. Let them change the way we think, the way we view you, the way we view our salvation. Lord, may each one here affirm that they have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if not, I pray you'll make it clear to them they still need to trust you. Open their hearts to the gospel, Lord. And just as you revealed yourself to us, so reveal yourself to those who still need you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. This lesson wraps up the study of the first five verses of the book of Galatians. If you'd like to listen to this study again or to any of the earlier Verse by Verse lessons, go to our website, versebyverseradio.org, and listen to it there or download it for future use. Click on the Message Archive tab, and you'll find not only this program, but the others in this series leading up to today and hundreds more. That's versebyverseradio.org. It takes effort and money to keep this program on the air, by the way. If you'd like to help support this ministry, you can give online, over the phone, or by mail. Our phone number is 727-239-0306. And the website again is versebyverseradio.org. Just click on the Giving tab. Our mailing address is Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. In the next lesson, we'll go on to see just how strongly Paul was upset to find that the Galatians were abandoning the simple gospel of salvation by faith. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.